0: This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So welcome. I just want to say a big hello to everyone here at New Church Live. Great way for us to sort of kick off the fall. and And what we do with these services is on occasion we... We, we have what we call one-offs, where we invite in guest speakers and give them a chance to sort of share, and we put it in a biblical context, because we really talk about how the Bible really can help us today. And a lot of us look at the book, and it's like, oh, that's, just, that's so old, and I don't get it, and we try reading it. It's like, oh, I don't get it, I don't get it. And yet, church is about getting it. Church is about looking at things that God has to tell us and share with us, and the point of him telling and sharing with us those things is to get us to wake up to wake up to new ways of listening, new ways of seeing, new ways of being. We're going to be looking at this particular passage from the Bible here. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll just introduce our speaker. A very famous parable where Christ says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Indeed, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. So we're going to be talking today about how you let your light shine. Can you guys guess what our last song is? Any of you who know a lot of songs from church? We're going to be closing on that song because that's what we're talking about today. How is it that you, like sitting here today, how is it that you can let your light shine? And the best way to talk about that, I think, is to actually have other people talk about that. So with that, we're going to introduce our keynote speakers for today. They will be introduced by their wonderful daughter, Nicole. So, Nicole, you want to come out and introduce your parents? Please give Nicole a round. Just pull it straight up. Give a round of applause. All yeah, it's
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Nicole Smith, and I am one of Matt and Susan Smith's daughters. This past March, my parents went on a week-long medical mission trip to Haiti, and while none of my siblings or I went on that trip with them, five years ago, my older brother and sister and I went on another medical mission trip with my parents to Costa Rica. And it was honestly one of the best experiences of my entire life. It was so cool to be able to serve others overseas, and to be doing it with my family made it that much better. I'm really thankful to have really awesome parents that have a love of serving others and that they've instilled that love of service in my siblings and I. We're already asking them when they're going back to Haiti and if we can come with. (laughs) I know you guys are all going to enjoy hearing about their experiences as much as I have. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my parents, Matt and Susan.
2: Hello Thanks for inviting us to speak today, um, as Nicole said, Susan and I had the opportunity to be on a medical mission trip to Duchaty, Haiti this past March. Duuchty is a mountainous village, rural village in, in Haiti, farming village more or less, and for the last ten years, a local Catholic parish has adopted them, if you will, and supported them and you can put the first slide up, um, one of the big things they 've done is they've built a, a clinic there, and they Pay a Haitian doctor to be there a few hours a day throughout the year, so that there's continuity. But the average Haitian can't afford to go to see the doctor, even something an emergency. So most of the rank and file from douche and Shrana communities rely on medical trips like ours to come a couple times a year and see the majority of people there. Um, so um, yeah, I guess next <laughs> next slide. I'll go through this. This is our team. And there were four doctors, an obstetrician, a dermatologist, rheumatologist, and a gastroenterologist, a nurse practitioner, a nurse, a lawyer, a teacher, and a college student. And um, there were also two Haitian doctors that joined our team. One was the one that's there all the time, one from a neighboring village a few hours away. Um, The um, next slide. Uh, Basically, arriving in Haiti is a culture shock. This is a typical house that was built after the earthquake five years ago and they're still recovering from that. It's really a broken country in many ways. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and Dushiti is poor by Haitian standards, which is which is saying a lot. Unfortunately, bribery and corruption is the way of life there. We had to actually bribe the customs agents in Port-au-Prince to get our medical supplies through to donate to people and that's just the way things are. Um, there's no running water in Dushiti. There's no electricity except by except by, um, by, by generator. You can go to the next slide. Uh, basically, this is the downtown uh, market before their vendors have come to set up shop, and that's downtown Dushety. Um And then you can go to the next slide as I go through these. So they people will walk however far it takes, a couple of miles to the nearest well to bring their water back. There's three girls we met bringing water back to their... I'm not sure if I can do that, back to their their place. And you can go to the next slide. So... But by Haitian standards, they set us up in a nice storm. Um, but the shower water was from a cistern rainwater up top, and you can see if we collected the water in a bucket to shower with, we found tadpoles. So it gives you an idea of how clean things are there, and, and this is them putting us up in the Ritz, basically. Um, next slide. But but the people there were wonderful, beautiful, friendly, grateful. This was our welcoming committee when we first came in, Franzu and his two sisters. And if you go to the next slide, I asked for a selfie, and they said, sure. So that's my screensaver at home now. Lovely kids. These were some of the street kids that were ubiquitous. Wherever we went, they can't afford to go to school, so they're there all the time. Susan and I saw them every day. When We weren't in clinic. We were playing with them. You can go to the next slide. Um, They loved to hold Susan's hand. Wherever she went, that's Astrid. She would walk her down Main Street in Dushity, and they always guided Susan wherever she went. Next slide. We played jump rope with them. Next slide. Susan taught them hopscotch and patty cake. Patty cake was challenging because these kids couldn't, even, couldn't count even in, in Creole. And mind you, I was testing Paul Funk's French pretty extremely trying to talk in Creole to these kids from uh, my academy days. Um, and they were eager to learn English words from us. So a lot of hand gestures and sign language. Um, next slide. Um, but basically, the clinic, uh, oh, and my daughter made them bracelets to hand out, which was golden. They loved those. Next um, Next slide. So clinic was a very small building, so we had two practitioners per room. And so uh, my room was me and Susan, and we each had an interpreter, and we shared an examination table. Um, so if I saw a rash, I'd run it by Susan. If she heard a murmur, she'd run it by me. Working with my wife and seeing, doing this uh, together was one of the real joys of the trip for me. And me too. Um, and uh, next slide, so we saw a lot of common illnesses. We saw asthma, um, we saw pneumonia, earaches, um, you name it. Um, but everyone that came in had a headache and everyone that came in had a backache and we weren't too sure why that was until the next slide we realized that this is a hard life and they all carry everything everywhere they go. There's very few vehicles, uh, a couple motorcycles here and there but you walk you know, four miles, five miles from A to B and you carry everything in your head and so it's, it's a very hard life. Um, we also saw a lot of uh, chronic diseases. We saw profound, severe hypertension, and we could only really afford to give each person a month's supply of medication. So that was frustrating because we knew that once we left, they couldn't afford to buy more. And we asked what we were really accomplishing with that sometimes. We'd see surgical problems, like simple hernias we couldn't take care of. We saw chronic neurologic diseases where what we could accomplish was teach them flexibility training and fashion an enema for them, not much you can really do. So there were a lot of things we couldn't really offer. There are two people I want to tell you about, though two patients I want to just share in particular. Next slide should be this is Gens. Gens is in the middle, his sister's in the right, and Kathleen our nurse is in the left. Gens was a thirteen year old skinny boy, underweight, who came into my clinic and I said, What are you here for? He said, My pee taste my pea tastes sweet, which if you know the background of diabetes is an old fashioned diagnostic, very old <laughs> Diagnostic term for diabetes. Well, it turns out he had insulin-dependent diabetes undiagnosed. We got the glucose scanner to measure his sugar, and it was unmeasurable, above 600 off our charts. This is a sick, sick kid. So insulin and education and glucose scans, we can treat this disease. You can live with diabetes. But in rural Haiti, in the middle of nowhere, what are we going to do? So I went to one of our Haitian doctors and asked him for advice. He looked at the long line of patients at our door, the tremendous need and our limited resources, and he said, Matt, you have to prepare him for the fact that he's gonna die. I grabbed Susan, went in the hallway, we talked. Not gonna happen. We had insulin with us a little bit, and I turned him over to Susan. She's better at this than me. You <laughs> are she got him under control. Long story made very short, by the end of the week, we had his, his sugar under control. We, the team all pitched in. We even involved a pediatric endocrinologist from Rush to help dose him. And by, long story short, we figured out a, a mechanism through the parish at home, the local parish priest, the next team coming in a month and a half to get him supplies, and he's doing well. He's a smart kid. He got it. And as of right now, he's doing well. Looking forward to <laughs> So we look forward to seeing him here, there next. You can go to the blank slide. So the next one I don't have a picture for, but Woodney Sim was a 13-month-old kid who looked about seven months. He was very underweight. He had a huge umbilical hernia, actually called an omphalocele. It was so big. And um, every time he ate, he cried because his bowel was trapped in the hernia and it hurt to eat. So he was underweight and his mother was asking what we could do. Nothing. I, I, we can't do surgery. We're six hours from Port-au-Prince. We thought about just giving him the money to go get it done, but if you understand in Haiti, if you give someone money, it doesn't mean something's going to happen. It's it's unlikely he'll get that surgery. So realistically, our our hands were tied. We went home having done nothing for him, and his picture haunted me. The brilliant one here told me to do an internet search. After about an hour, I found a pediatric pediatric surgical team from USC who'd be in Port-au-Prince in April did some searching, got a hold of the lead surgeon. It turns out she and I trained at the same university, University of Chicago. We knew similar people. It was like God works in mysterious ways. She said, I'll be happy to see him. Kathy saw him, said, this is an seal. I can't take care of it now. Our, it requires an ISU. He might have to come to the United States to get it done, and he's too young to have it done. But she fashioned a, a binder for him, and she's optimistic that it will hold things in enough he can eat, and she'll see him next year. We're hoping to get his surgery done eventually. So I guess the message I came away with was that going to a place like Haiti is a, is a frustrating experience. There is so much need. There are so many in, your, in need of your help. And you can only focus on so much. So in a sense, the ones we focused on, they picked us. When someone comes to you asking for help, there is a, there's a bond that develops. You, you can't walk away from. Their burden, in a sense, becomes your burden. And if you can make a difference in one life, it's all worthwhile. So...
1: Good morning. So Matt talked to you <clears throat> about two extraordinary patients that we had the privilege of taking care of in Haiti. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our team saw over 1,200 patients. And quite honestly, there were hundreds of extraordinary stories. Obviously, we can't tell you them all. So what I'd like to do this morning is tell you the experience I had with the very first patient I took care of in Haiti, my very last patient. And then my journey home. So Monday morning, we were getting ready uh, for to open clinic, and you can go to the next slide. And that's my little; those were my little friends that escorted me to and from my dorm to clinic every morning and every afternoon after clinic. You can go to the next slide or blank slide. <clears throat> Anyways, there were about three hundred people outside the clinic waiting to get in, and. One of the local Haitian girls that our team had hired to work in the pharmacy for the week, her name was Anita. Uh, we had hired her because she's bilingual. She came to us and she told us that her mom was sick that morning. She was very worried about her. She was hoping that we could see her mom before we opened clinic. And we said, sure, bring her on in. So she went and got her mom, brought her in. The whole family came along with. And I examined her. And her mom was, in fact, very sick. She had a condition called congestive heart failure. And I suspect she was having a heart attack. So our team got to work right away treating her. And as I was starting her IV, I realized, we don't have the medication with us to treat this problem. So I sent our nurse, Kathleen, to the pharmacy to go get different medication in pill form that I thought and hope would help. And the family, they stepped out for a few minutes to get some fresh air, and I was alone with the patient. She was lying on this gurney, and we were, we were in this dark back hallway of the clinic. And the patient, she was <clears throat> thrashing around, right? <clears throat> because she was very short of breath, and she was in pain. And I was trying to comfort her. And as I took her blood pressure, she suddenly stopped thrashing around. And I took her pulse and it stopped. There was this wave of helplessness that came over me at that moment because I realized there was nothing I could do. And the only thing I could think of doing at that moment was putting my hand in her hand and saying a prayer while she died. I have spent the majority of my career in the intensive care unit treating patients with heart disease, the disease this patient just died of. And I failed. So day one, patient one died. Fortunately, after that, my patients, they did a lot better. So, fast forward to Friday. Our team had seen about 1,100 patients at this point. We were exhausted. We were sleep-deprived. And many of us were sick. Next slide. Including poor Matt here, who was the sickest of all. In fact, he was so sick that we had him on IV fluids and IV antibiotics the day before that in our little makeshift dorm room intensive care unit. Fortunately, he did well, and that's a whole different story for a different time. (laughs) You can go to the next slide. So at about 10 o'clock in the morning, in walks a nine-month pregnant female in full-blown labor. Now, I need to preface this story by telling you that I have been a nurse for 31 years. I've been a nurse practitioner for seven years, and I had never witnessed a live birth. So the fact that we had an obstetrician with us, on this trip was very exciting for me because I was waiting all week for someone to come in and have a baby. And my wish came true. So about two hours later, this woman gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. And witnessing that life birth for the first time in my career was hands down one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And then Dr. Ruby, she cut that umbilical cord and she handed that baby right over to me In a beach towel, because that's all I could find. And she said, Sue, I need to know the baby's breathing. Make her cry. So I brought that baby over to the examining table, and I wiped her down, and I suctioned her mouth, and I suctioned her nose, and I plucked her toes. She wasn't crying. And so Dr. Ruby, she said to me a second time with a little higher intensity, Sue, I need to know that baby's breathing. Make her cry. Now, I have four children of my own, and it seems I've never had a problem making them cry. But this little baby, she'd have none of it. So I picked that baby up, and I swatted her butt, and I swatted her back, and I laid her back down, and I suctioned her again, and I plucked her feet. No cry. And in fact, she really wasn't moving around a whole heck of a lot either. And that wave of helplessness came over me once again. And at that moment, I thought to myself, and I prayed, and I pleaded with God, please don't make this baby turn out like patient number one. And Dr. Ruby, she told me to bring that baby over to the mom's breast, and I did. And the baby started to suckle. And she started to move around. And she started to breathe. And she ended up doing just fine. And she never did cry. (laughs) And that mom, about 45 minutes after she gave birth, she sat up and she looked at me and she asked, can I go home now? And I said, sure. So she got up and she picked up that baby and she walked out the door about two miles down the dirt path, that's what the interpreter told me, back home. She was an amazing woman. So my week started out with a death. And ironically, it ended with a life. And I thought to myself, is someone trying to send me a message here? So fast forward one more week, last time, and I was back to work in the hospital that I work in in Illinois that has an emergency department, an operating room, a code blue team, and I was talking to some of my friends and my colleagues about the Haiti trip, and I was telling this surgeon that was there about all the patients we saw, and I told him about that little baby that, that Matt told you about, little baby Woodnison with the big hernia. And I said, you know, it would have been so great to have a surgeon with us, a surgical team, because we saw, saw a lot of surgical issues. And he agreed that surgical teams on these medical missions are so important because, you know, they can go in, they can surgically revise the problem, they can really change patients' lives and make a difference. And then he said, but you know, Sue, I wonder, how helpful do you think the medical portion of the team is? I mean, what are you guys really doing? You're handing out Tylenol for headaches and vitamins and Tums for stomach aches, and you're treating disease processes that you know they're not going to follow up with. How helpful is that? Did you even make it really make a difference? And I walked away from that conversation, and initially, I have to be honest with you, I thought, that was kind of a rude comment. But then I started thinking about what he said. And I thought, maybe he's not being rude. Maybe he's just right. I thought about all the babies, the infants and children that we treated for pneumonia. Statistically, infants and children with pneumonia in that kind of a poverty-stricken environment their mortality rate, or death rate, is really high. And what about all those patients with dangerously high blood pressures? Blood pressures of measurements of 240 over 120. That is defined as a hypertensive emergency. If you had that kind of a blood pressure, I suspect you would be in an emergency department and or an intensive care unit. But all we could do was give medicine. Tell them to come back in a month. So I asked myself, How helpful was I, really? And did it all even make a difference? And I thought about this for months after I got back from Haiti, months. And I finally came up with an answer. Here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know how helpful I was to all those people. I know that I wanted to be helpful. I hope I was helpful. I think I was helpful. But you know, I'll never really know. But here's what I do know. I know that Haiti is in what I call a hot mess. Right? The poverty, the lack of infrastructure, the corruption. And not only is Haiti in a hot mess, there's a lot of places in this world, including the United States of America, that is in a hot mess. I suspect there are probably people in situations right here in this community that could be in a hot mess. It's very easy to get cynical when you try over and over and over again to help a person or people, and you don't see any change. But I also know that at some point in time in your life, in my life it's already happened, in everyone's life, you will be in a so-called hot mess or in need of help. And you are going to hope that someone cares enough to at least try and help you out, despite the outcome. And I realized that when people help other people, it doesn't matter how big or how small the effort. And it doesn't matter if you succeed or if you fail. It does make a difference. Because when people help other people, simply stated, that to me is the definition of humankind. And that's what we should do. I want to thank you all once again for having Matt and I here to talk to you. It's truly been a privilege.
0: What kind of world do you want? Maybe this, like just think about this beautiful quote and let it resonate around in your brain a little bit. God's ultimate future is God's urgent present. When we start to see where, where, there are, where there's urgent need, that is actually God's ultimate future. That is what breaks us open, what allows us to come alive, and what even gets into to what light really is all about. See, when you read that beautiful passage again where it says, who would hide their light under a bushel or under the bed? You know, come on out. I think for a lot of us like me, we think of it like this. You know, where all the lights slowly collapse on us and we get to be superstar. You know, rock and roll. All I need is sunglasses, hair like Ray, and a guitar. And I'm golden. But yet, the Bible offers us something very different. Look at this line. Look at this line from Luke. Look at that middle part there. I'm going to have you say the L word at the end. You you don't hide your light under the bushel, so that those who come in can see the can see the light. Can see the light. So it's not a spotlight. It's more light like this, a campfire. Where instead of believing, and I think our culture struggles with this, don't we? You know, like, yeah, I've got to get my light to shine so I can be out there and I can be number one. I can win American Idol. Rebecca's the only one doing that, you know, and, 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 and we'll all be able to do No, 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 no. That's not what God is talking about. He's saying, no, allow your light out from under the bed so that it can shine, so that others can see. And when others can see, this is what happens to the light. This is what happens to the light. A totally different view of light, a totally different view of other people. Two different views of being bold. And I think what Matt and Susan talked about was the kind of boldness that Christ calls us to. New Church does not believe that Christianity is an evacuation plan from this planet. We believe it's it's an actual salvation plan for this planet. That it is about what we do into this world, understanding what kind of world we're calling to, and can we pull that light up into the world. Not so that everybody can see us, but so that everybody can see a beautiful place to be. If this service has you thinking in some ways, and again, you want, to, you want to conclude, you want to have more conversation around it, like this is a big topic and it's a different way of living boldly. Again, I invite you to join either our sunroom group or to come over across the way, join us across the Huntington Pike there in the office and meet Matt Susan. And let's talk about this. Let's figure out what bold as we can really means. What does it mean for you in your life? And again, bold as you can may be that you know you just had a child and you're going to be as bold as you can being a parent. It may be something more dramatic, but let's figure out ways to be that thing. To allow our light out so that others, so that others can see. So we're going to close today's service with a prayer. I'm going to ask our guests out here for the prayer. And if we could give them another round of applause as they come out and join us. And you're welcome to join us in prayer. You're welcome as well. You'll have a moment to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to have a moment of quiet reflection And then start getting ready for really blowing it out with singing, we're going to let our light shine. That's how we're closing today's service. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for the presence of this amazing family here today. And Lord, thank you for the presence and witnessing to courage. Courage that can simply show up in the most powerful of all ministries, the ministry of presence where we let go of the outcomes. And simply do. Do it, Lord, because you ask it of us, and Lord, do it as well because others are asking it of us. Let us live in that space where your ultimate future is realized in an urgent present. Allow us to be in that space, Lord. Allow us, allow us to pull our light out. And Lord, I'm speaking to those here today who feel like they have no light, who feel that that light is better hidden, who constantly ask, who me? And Lord, allow them to see your face smiling and gently saying these two words, yes, you. Be with this congregation, Lord. Allow them to live with boldness this week as you give them to see it. Allow them to remember they are in the worlds that they are to heal and touch. And thank you, Lord, for the amazing testimony of these speakers. Be with us, Lord, this week. Help us to let our light shine. Amen.